Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Melano Bailey, Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute. On this week's episode, we are joined by Rachel Kelly, who is an author and advocate writing on her life-threatening experience with depression and her recovery. In her latest book, Singing in the Rain, 52 Practical Steps to Happiness, includes weekly easy-to-follow exercises and puzzles to promote personal growth and is inspired by research and real people's experiences. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us this week on The Barrier Breakdown. You have become a major advocate for mental health. Can you tell us a little bit about why this issue is so important to you? Yeah, it's funny, actually, because when you say that, I immediately had this kind of like imposter syndrome and like, hey, who am I to talk about mental health? But yes, I mean, my interest is born from personal experience. We have to rewind quite a a few years back to 1997. So in 1997, at that time, I was working as a journalist. I was in the newsroom working at the Times newspaper in London. And um, my husband was working for Goldman Sachs, because I think when we're thinking about mental health and well-being, it's always important to think of the context. And actually, so we both had exciting but demanding and stressful jobs. And we also had two small children. And I seemed to be fine, you know, keep calm, carry on. I was working, I was playing, I was mothering. I was kind of doing everything. And then one night I couldn't get to sleep. And this was known ordinary insomnia. With the insomnia started to come some alarming physical symptoms. My heart rate speeded up. Um, I remember feeling very nauseous, like I had to throw up. I was having these very frightening thoughts like, ah, you know, if I didn't get to sleep, I can't get to work. And I can't get to work. I'm going to lose my job. And it's kind of can't get the word out, catastrophizing thoughts. I think even going back makes me feel a bit anxious. Anyway, I felt iller and iller, couldn't sleep, thought I'd get back to work normal, you know, refasten activity to its normal timetable. I didn't, didn't sleep the next night, didn't sleep the next night, iller and iller, found myself in a psychiatric hospital. And it was the start of a major anxiety-driven depressive episode. And I was ill for the best part of six months. Took a lot of medication, very little therapy back in 97. And I, I, I got better. I went back to work. I didn't change anything. And I wouldn't be talking to you now if that had been the end of the story. Um, because my luck held for a couple of years. I kept going with this busy, demanding, stressful, but exciting life. Crashed again. Had a second major breakdown. And that time I was ill for the best part of two years. Um, yeah. And I was pretty suicidal through that period. Not because I didn't have a good life, but because I felt so incredibly unwell. Um, so that second major episode, that kind of ended around about a decade ago. Um, and then since then, I've been building strategies, working with experts, working particularly with mental health charities here in the UK, uh, you know, finding strategies to stay calm and well. And, and, and now I speak to you as someone who feels that I'm recovered, I'm well. And so I'm on a kind of mission to share what I've learned and maybe, you know, other people might find it helpful and especially working alongside the charities because they're people who are finding life difficult and, r- and running workshops and, and uh, writing about, about what I've discovered in, in this journey, really. Wow, it sounds like your depression, I mean, that was obviously a very personal experience. And 
what has it been like for you to share that, that experience that you had with the world and how has it been received? Well, yeah, I mean, um, so I wrote a memoir about this experience and especially my experience in a hospital and what that was like and what it was like to sort of seemingly have this perfect life and then everything crashing. Um, and when that book came out, I, I wrote it, it's published in the US as well. It's called Black Rainbow. Um, I, you know, I think I had a strong instinct not to waste what had happened to me. When I was a journalist, I hated my stories. We used to call it hitting the spike. In the old days in newspapers, you had like a, a physical spike where they put the bit of paper when your story wasn't used. And I felt like my story was, was not going to be used. I, I had something to say. And I wanted to particularly address what you might call people who you wouldn't expect to suffer from a kind of mental illness. So I think that people suffering real social deprivation, you can't get food on the table, sure, you might be depressed. And equally, there's a kind of world with maybe more celebrity, artistic types, they might be a bit up and down, maybe they suffer from some kind of bipolar or mental illness. But I was really interested in this middle category. You know, the, the lawyers, the bankers, the journalists, um, people running their own businesses, the electricians, the plumbers, people who didn't seem to have anything to be worried about, but still, they could suffer. And I felt that when my book came out and I started working in this field, that was where the real connection was and the resonance and people put their hands up and, and said, yeah, I didn't want to admit that I was finding life difficult too, because it's very hard to understand that a privileged life doesn't always mean a privileged health. So I think that's where I've had the biggest impact is in that, in that kind of neighborhood in those worlds. Yes, One thing I... I think it's very timely uh, for us to have you on the podcast. And, and I think what you speak to, I think will resonate with many like you described, is when people struggle with anxiety and depression, that sense of powerlessness, hopelessness, fear that nothing will ever change. And they feel so lonely uh, that no one can relate to them. And I think it's gonna be really powerful for those struggling to kind of hear they're not alone. And I think your work really goes a long way to addressing that for many. Oh, so well thank that, you for that. Yeah, that's very kind. I mean, when you ask about my own response, you know, for me personally, it was incredibly enriching because people reached out and emailed and I suddenly felt part of this community. And, you know, this is back, um, the book came out in 2014. So, you know, we've already moved quite a long way in terms of discussion and stigma and people being able to sort of say more honestly what's happening to them. But, but really back in 2014, you know, it was quite overwhelming and thrilling as well. I mean, I always like that idea that fear and excitement are the same physiological reaction. So it was kind of scary, but it was kind of thrilling that people were coming forward and saying, hey, that's my story. That's what happened to me. And actually, I can't believe you just described it. And it actually took me seven years to write that book. It wasn't easy because it was hard to go back. And even when I was telling you just now, I felt that little catch in my voice because it's kind of like, yeah, you know, they were pretty scary times. But I stand here as someone recovered and well, and, and, you know, recovery rates are quite good. You know, even with severe depression like mine, I don't know what the figures are in the US, but it's around 60 to 70% of people in the UK do recover. And I think that's a very important message. Sometimes it can get a little bit gloomy, the conversation around mental health. Definitely provides hope. Yeah, for sure. For absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think your book is very interesting also because it's almost as if the pandemic um, has affected a lot of people who previously may have not related to having mental health issues and right. really, really um, 
played a, took a toll on them, if for lack of a better word. So um, I think that's very interesting how there's a lot of folks out there who have never experienced anxiety and depression until the pandemic came, until the lockdowns came, until their lives were seemingly turned, you know, upside down in a way. Yeah, so I, I think you make a, a really good point. And I, I've been thinking quite a lot about this because, you know, I think one way of understanding what happened to me is that I had one identity, which I had, I had invested a lot in this kind of, um, you know, tick box, you know, uh, work hard, play hard, you know, kind of a certain identity, and it completely blew up. And I think the link here with the pandemic is that for a lot of people, a certain identity has also blown up. And people are now thinking, well, what am I? Who am I? You know, I, I've got to redefine myself in so many ways, whether I define myself by my life in my office or my life with my friends or a, a life that was traveling or whatever your life was. For a lot of people, there's this kind of panic. It's like, one identity has gone and I have to have to rethink my identity. And that's a painful process, though it can be a very enriching one as well. It's definitely a forced self-reflection this time. Uh, and right. there's a lot of things, a lot of things to consider. Right. And I think in the rush, 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 I mean, a little bit like I didn't ever stop to think, you know, I was Mrs. Busy. Like, you know, I'd, I'd get to work, I'd do my stories, I'd rush home, I'd sort dinner, I'd go out, I'd look after the children. And I never stopped to think or even to feel. And I think this is interesting because, you know, I sometimes think we should rename mental health, emotional health. You know, we're all in our heads and our thoughts. It's so, it is cognitive and there are ways of rethinking. And I know that's something you're, you're very interested in and very good at, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in it. But, but I think when I look at my own story, sometimes it was being scared of the feelings and not having time to allow the feelings and feel the feelings. And I think that's something that's happening for people right now. And I know it from my workshops, running workshops. I'm, I'm ambassador for SANE, which is a big mental health charity here in the UK and Rethink Mental Illness. And I run workshops for, for those people who are struggling. And this, this sense of, you know, their feelings are quite scary at this time, uh, even more so than usual. Um, so yeah, I think that's something as well, you know, kind of accepting and allowing our feelings. It's almost as if everyone is reinventing themselves as to how they're going to re-engage with the world as we're coming out of the pandemic. So I think you make an excellent point. And I'd like to talk about your recently published article in Vogue, uh, which is called Anxious About Reentering the World, You're Not Alone. This advice will make it easier. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about re what reentry syndrome is? Right, well, um... In this kind of process of the pandemic, I, I was just noticing with the with my workshops, people I was working with, this kind of anxiety and nervousness kind of cropping up about, you know, so the new normal, getting back to normal, what did that really mean? So I started kind of researching, and actually it's quite a it's it's the, the idea of reentry syndrome, it dates back a couple of decades. Psychologists looked at Arctic and Antarctic explorers coming back from big expeditions for maybe three, four, five months when they'd been away, they'd not seen anybody. And then they came back and they tried to pick up their lives and they found this process quite tricky. Um, so that was where the sort of the idea came. And I think it is part of this concept of this new identity that you had one identity when you were away and then you're coming back and, and what is your identity uh, when you return? So. I would say that we're all changing all the time. I mean, even with different people before this podcast, 
and will be different people after the podcast. But this kind of awareness of this sense of our change and how we're changing, uh, that is at the heart of, of the kind of anxiety about re-entry syndrome, because people don't like change. They're frightened of change. And we've, got, we've gotten used to one thing. And now in this sort of post-pandemic world, uh, we're beginning to come out of that. And, it, and it's interesting, we're seeing it everywhere. Uh, different countries have different names for it. Um, you know, in, in, in France, they called it the, the, uh, the syndrome of the escargot, the snail, it's like coming out of your shell um, and feeling nervous, like you don't have a shell. And then in Spanish, they call it the syndrome de la cabana. It's like coming out of a little hut and out into the world. So that's something I've been very interested in. You know, how can we make this process go from frightening to fun and, and not feel so scary as we engage with this change, this new identity and re-engaging with this new world? You know, you talk about your work uh, a little bit and then you're also, I know it's, it's rooted in research. Can you speak more about kind of the, the research and evidence-based practice that you that you looked at and how that fits in? Right. Well, um, it turns out that there is um, a sort of gold standard uh, psychological approach to handling this, this um, kind of uh, anxiety in change, and it's called exposure therapy. And it's probably the approach, I'm sure you guys know about it, you're smiling. Phew, I didn't get it wrong. Um, you know, sometimes I get this imposter syndrome because I'm always coming from my own experience and experience of people trying this stuff out as opposed to you guys, you're like the experts. I'm the one always trying things out. So this idea of exposure therapy, and it's probably the thing with the best data, the best research. So the idea is, is that when we're scared of something, we're scared of change, obviously, what do we do? We go back under the duvet. You know, we don't want to go out there. It's scary. In fact, it turns out that's the worst thing we can do. It makes it more and more scary the less we engage with this sense of change and what's frightening us. So the gold standard, we want to get from frightening to fun. We want to little by little, slowly by slowly, step out of our comfort zone, you know, and, and the people I'm working with, you know, the big deal is like maybe you go out for your first cup of coffee, you know, and that's a big deal. And some people just get to the cafe and they walk home. And some people then the next week they get to the cafe, they sit down. The next week they get to the cafe, they sit down and they can order a cappuccino. But if they're directionally feeling this sense that they are okay, almost uh, using some of the mantras as well, it's a very useful thing that some of the people in work, that very useful thing, talking to yourself saying, you know, I am learning and growing. I haven't got anything to be scared about. I'm allowing myself to feel these feelings. They're not going to stick around if I don't invest too many stories in them. You know, all these sort of techniques and tricks just to gently engage with this kind of exposure therapy and then finally get to the point when actually you actually even enjoyed that cup of coffee, which I, which I have started to do myself. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's very exciting to kind of hear you talk about that because although I know we're really trying to address uh, individuals who are struggling, one thing that research has also shown is that therapists don't like, many therapists uh, find it uncomfortable to use exposure therapy with their clients because we're very much taught to keep people comfortable and be supportive. And at times for therapists, it seems counterintuitive. So from someone that has used it, what can you speak to uh, when people naturally so in a helping profession are hesitant because they don't want to make their clients uncomfortable, but there is this benefit. Uh, so can you speak to that? Right. I mean, um, I think the thing that, that, that 
sort of practitioners, i.e. people using the techniques, that one of the things that they seem to find most helpful is using some of the breathing exercises. If that kind of resistance and so like panicky, ah, I can't do this. And um, maybe that's something therapists can share with clients. So, um, you know, this idea that like when we're very anxious, you know, we often throw to the future like, ah, I can't get to the cafe. That's so scary. Or like regretting we're, we're in the past, like we were, we're regretting something like, oh, you know, I, I don't know, I, sh I should have done this, I should have done that. But we can't accept or tolerate the present moment. And if we reframe things that actually all we have is the present moment. And actually, if you think about breathing, and maybe this sounds really obvious, but it was a big thing for me. You can't breathe in the past and you can't breathe in the future. You can only breathe now. And, you know, we know breathing stimulates the parasympathetic. I never know how you say it. You'll know how to say it. The parasympathetic. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's the it's the counterintuitive. It's the one that doesn't sound sympathetic, but we know it stimulates the relaxation system. So it kind of makes you relaxed and it just allows you to be in the present moment and just to cope with what is, whatever's happening right here, right now. And that's something that seems to kind of, I don't know, help people it's not so scary exposure therapy. I, I understand from a therapist's point of view, you know, you think, well, you know, this seems like it could make things even worse, but actually I've seen wonderful results with my, my groups, you know, just little by little being able to edge out of their shell. I tell you another thing that I'm using at the moment, which seems people seem to love, and I will send you an image. Maybe you could share it. Yeah. It's an image of a butterfly. So it's like a chrysalis. It's like a little chrysalis and, and, and then it goes in and then the last image is of the butterfly. And I'm, I'm not a botanist, but the gist of it is that there is this feeling that, you know, we've, we're adopting this new identity as we've discussed. We're coming out of a shell. We're going to turn into something very beautiful, like a butterfly that's going to flow. But we've got to allow this to happen. We don't need to force it. We can go at our own pace. Like if you pull the butterfly out of the chrysalis, you're going to break its wing, it's not going to fly. But if you allow this very natural process, because, you know, we are designed to connect with social creatures, you know that, we know that it's not good for us to just put our heads under the duvet and stay in our little, little snail shells or our little cabins, you know, we, we, we do feel better when we when we get out and we reconnect and, and allow this process. So maybe that image of the butterfly is a nice one as well to help people through this. Very symbolic. I think it's a good, uh, good symbol for that uh, that process. Right, right, right. And and maybe a last thought is that um, another another idea which I think people find helpful is that yes, this has been very tough, a bit like me with that very severe depression and 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 you know feeling like my life was a write off. And I'm feeling a little emotional, but you know it's led to a very interesting and rich and exciting life. I wouldn't be talking to you now. And so sometimes we're not our best judge of what is happening to us. You know, it can seem terrible, but something very special can sometimes come through these very, very dark times. I think that's a great message that although it's difficult and hard in the moment, you know, there is a real benefit, a real learning experience and a real, uh, it helps build your character over time and get better clarity about uh, perspective and, and how you see life. I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I do love these mantras. I, in, in my Black Rainbow book, I used a lot of poetry actually, because I found it so lovely to feel not alone and another voice of people who've been through hard times. And 
one of the phrases I love is, you know, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, and, and, and you know, what can seem a very negative, you know, actually sometimes we, we come through stronger. And, and it's so simple. It's, it's actually from the Bible. It's from Coriolanus. Uh, um, Coriolanus, uh, Corinthians, muddling my Shakespeare with my Bible. But yeah, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I, and I find that's a very gentle and helpful mantra for people to use. Rachel Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. This was an excellent conversation and we surely appreciate your time. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And, and, and thank you, thank you. It's you know, been wonderful to chat to you both. Wonderful. And thank you very much to our listeners for tuning into this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. We hope you stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute, and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.